Well, that was the opening music to Three Days of the Condor, released in 1975. And it was released by Paramount, I think. Uh, yes, it was. Big moneymaker for them. Yeah, and directed by Sidney Pollack and starring Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway, Cliff Robertson, who had some a great hairpiece in the movie, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or at least it looked like it was. Maybe I don't know, it was his, his hair, real hair in every sure. movie I ever saw of it, it, it looked as though it was a little disarray. I don't know if it was real or not. Max von Sydow is Gilbert. And, uh, yeah, he was a bad guy. John Houseman is Mr. Wabash. Addison Powell is Atwood. Yeah, those are the main characters. And we mustn't forget the mailman. Oh, yeah, the mailman. (laughs) Special delivery. Well, there's a couple mailmen, right? There was one at the beginning, and there was one kind of halfway through. Well, the one halfway through was at the beginning, too. There were two at the beginning. Oh, were, same yeah, guy? There were two, yeah. Oh, okay. Two at the beginning and one halfway through. He was very adroit at uh, his work. I was just going to say Hank Garrett as the mailman. He wasn't as uh, methodical as Jobert, uh, though. No, no. Whenever I saw Jobert, I, I thought of the Day of the Jackal and the Jackal. Yeah, totally. They could have been brothers. They might have trained under the same person. no kidding three days of the condor it's from a book i have not read the book six days of the condor by james grady yeah they had they had to shorten it to three days for a movie i guess six days would have been too too long long. there have been so many bad guys we wouldn't have been able to keep anything straight i um i wanted to mention too that uh, when it was about 20 minutes into the film I think it was 19 minutes and 20 seconds. Robert Redford has a look on his face that's perfect for paranoia. He's, he, it's when he comes back and finds <laughs> out all that's happened. Oh, uh, comes back from his uh, trip to the deli? Yeah, yeah. That was quite a setup for the... That was the first 15 minutes of the film. 15, 17 minutes of the film was setting it up. And you, I'm, when I first went to see this in 1975, I thought, man, this is really slow moving. He's going to go get his breakfast or his lunch with all these other people's lunches. And then it sped up uh, quickly. Wow. Yeah, it definitely accelerated. I do appreciate the, that they did that because it made you care about his character more. Because he had all these relationships with these yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he seemed to really love his work, except for not being able to tell him. He didn't like the, the secrecy aspect of it because he says his boss kind of asked him, well, how you know, how are you doing? He says, oh, I'm all right. And he says, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I just don't like not being able to say anything to anybody. Well, I tell you, the setup of that place looked like a could have been a, just an academic study place where everybody was working on their doctorates. So I read a funny piece of trivia that that. uh I'm not, yeah, this is a weird to me, but so the Russians saw this movie and they just assumed that the Americans had a setup like that where they were researching all these books and doing all this cross-checking. And so then they set up an actual office like that. And it was, it was, I guess, successful enough that the American intelligence agency decided to actually set up an office like that too. So really, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, man. Talk about uh, entertainment influencing real life. Yeah, I'm assuming it was the movie that, that influenced this because, yeah, so strange. I had a I had a summary that was written that I found. The writer is a man named John Simon. He wrote how the book Six Days of the Condor had been rewritten for the film. Uh, read the whole thing. It's really good. I'll try to be as quick as possible. Uh, Simon says, and this is a quote, that the action has been relocated from sleepy Washington to furious New York City. Almost all names have been changed. That the plot has been vastly overcomplicated is of lesser interest than a straight genre film. Has been overloaded into an allegory of private, political, and finally cosmic pessimism. And then the final ending, a kind of national, if not metaphysical, guilt film to enchant the disenchanted. And I'm like, wow. wow. <laughs> this this wow. guy loves that's words. A, that's a lot to take in. I tell you. I still think it's just, a, and and both Sidney Pollack and Redford said, they just wanted to make this kind of spy movie because they'd never done one like that. So, you know, remember the discussion around High Noon? All the different interpretations yeah. of that later? I think there's yeah. a bit of that going on here. Even I am guilty of that because it came out right in the midst of Watergate and the uh, Pentagon Papers and all kinds of things were going on in real time yeah it definitely fits into this genre of paranoia films and conspiracy <laughs> theories no kidding. especially uh, you know the way that it ends i mean it just yeah the that description of sort of like bleakness at the end is spot on because i thought well he got away you know he triumphed in the end until like the last 30 seconds of the movie and then you're like oh wait a minute and, and there's there's <laughs> Maybe a perfect not. closing picture it shows redford going around behind a push cart and looking back and they freeze frame him and he's got a look on his face like bewilderment he's not sure and then they they cut to the music so i have a, i have a serious question for you uh-huh Who's a good guy in this film? Um, well, <laughs> kind of Robert Redford in a way. I think he's supposed to be us, like the audience, because sort of sucked into it unwillingly and, and unbeknownst to him, he gets sucked into this big plot. And But at the same time, he's not like, he's not, a good guy. I mean, he does kill people and he does kidnap Faye Dunaway's character, Kathy and threaten her and coerce her into doing things that he wants. And he's so good at it that Max von Sydow's character, Jobert wants to recruit him. And, and uh, he turns it down because he says he loves America too much, which I thought was like really nationalistic that, that whole like, because to me, at that point, for him, I th I was thinking, why not? Why not go do that? Because you're you're toast here. You know, they're gonna they're gonna find you and kill you. Um, but yeah, I don't really know, except for maybe Faye Dunaway as being almost like the innocent in the film, as maybe being a good person. But everybody else is like shades of devious. <laughs> I know that. I I asked that question because I can't come up with anybody. But I do agree, Faye Dunaway is just sort of a collateral 
collateral uh, partner in this purely purely by chance. But uh, even you know at the beginning, uh, Cliff Robertson seems like he might be on the up and up, and then he gets turned around to where he's really got to protect the agency from anybody. That was the overcomplicated part to me. Like it was it was a little bit. Boy, if you if you weren't paying attention, you could lose track pretty quickly who who was what and where and what was going on because because uh, Turner, played by Robert Redford, is this researcher at this uh, intelligence office where they read all these books and pulp paperbacks and magazines and they look for codes and they look for odd things and he he finds that this odd obscure book has been translated into these these languages which in and of itself isn't strange but they've it's only been translated into like dutch um russian arabic i forget there's I like it's spanish, a couple other languages spanish any, was another spanish and and he says well that's kind of strange so then he he kind of goes through these books and translations and finds that, yeah, there may be something here. So he sends a report off to the home office, not thinking anything of it, like this is just his job, no big deal. And clearly he was onto something and like set off alarm bells for whoever was running that operation. From what we find out, spoiler alert here, this episode is going to contain spoilers. <laughs> uh, we find out that there's, a, there's sort of like a CIA running within the CIA. And... Atwood, played by Addison Powell, is sort of heading that up. But then Cliff Robertson, yeah, he gets pulled into it because he needs to protect the reputation and protect what's going on with the CIA. And he can't let it get out that this was going on because Atwood's plan was to basically destabilize the Middle East and for oil. And I was like, wow, huh. That sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, that's a really good capsule of it. it it's uh, it has so many moving parts. I've seen it uh, three times from beginning to end. The first time I saw it, it was overwhelming because there's so many different stories going on. It, it's in many ways for me almost like Humphrey Bogart's The Big Sleep. You have to see it more than one time to really understand it. And what I like about it is it's so dense in terms of the subplots and the characters, and every character is developed really well. Even the few minutes that Houseman's on the screen, there's a real clear indication that he's he's in it to protect the agency because he's been there since World War II, and he makes a he makes a very subtle reference to working in the Adriatic Sea with a Hollywood movie star. Remember that. Why aren't you further along, Mr. Higgins? You mean with the company, sir? You seem perfect for it. Are you perfect for it, Mr. Higgins? I've tried to be, sir. You recruited out of school? No, sir. Company interviewed a few of us in Korea. You served with Colonel Donovan in the OSS, didn't you, sir? I sailed the Adriatic with a movie star at the helm. Doesn't seem like much of a war now, but it was. I go even further back than that. Ten years after the Great War, as we used to call it. 
before we knew enough to number them. You miss that kind of action, sir? No. I miss that kind of clarity. Yes? That was yeah. that was actually a true thing. I mean, not not that he was involved, but there was a Hollywood movie star that ran uh, guns and ammunition to the Yugoslavian nationalists as they were fighting the Nazis. Sterling Hayden was that he was a, he was a, a big sailor and did all this undercover work, and I think he even wrote a book about it or is included in a book about. It. But they they make a reference to that. I, I never picked that up until this last viewing of it. Just it's it's yeah. I, I read a little trivia on that too. Yeah, that was that was pretty interesting because it it did kind of pique my interest. Um, the uh, that speech though was interesting because he does say that he doesn't miss being you know fighting in in the world war because he fought in both world wars. I yes, think. he did. And he says something like the the great war before we were we smart we got smart enough to give them numbers you know and. And he says what he misses is the clarity. And I thought that was a really kind of astute observation as well. The movie or, you know, the plot of this movie is there's, there isn't much clarity. And, you know, we're in the shoes of Turner trying to figure out what's going on. And, and he even says at one point, like, what do I do now? Because he, he, he confronts uh, Higgins, who's played by Cliff Robertson. And I want to see that report, Turner. No, 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 Higgins. Come on. Do you know him? Professionally, yes. Professionally, he kills people. Yes. Yes. He works for the company? He did once. He's a contract agent. Contract agent? Yeah. Freelance. Where did you see him? Uh-uh. It would help if I knew. Who would it help? Who'd hire him now? Anybody. Terrific answer. I wouldn't accept it either. What's his name? When I knew him, Jobert. Come on, Higgins, who'd hire him? You don't look up Javert in the yellow pages. That's right. It would have to be somebody in the community. Community? Intelligence field. Community? Jesus, you guys are kind to yourselves. Community? I want to see that report, Turner. That report was sent to headquarters and disappeared. Who read it? You mean besides Wicks? You tell me. I pick up traces of what I think is an intelligence network the company doesn't know about. And I report it. Now, why is that going to make anybody mad, Higgins? Unless it was the company's network and you didn't want it blown, not even to your own guys. Now, somebody is lying, Higgins. Come on. Why is everybody so shy? I'm not shy. I don't know. That's what worries me. I don't know. Ask Wicks. Wicks died. Someone yanked him off the life support system at Gubner Hospital. Get me in here. What good would that do? If you're right and they are inside, what good would it do to bring you in? What am I supposed to do? I'm sorry. 
you're sorry. You're sorry. He almost kind of just tells him that, you know, you're you're kind of screwed. <laughs> and 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 Turner's like, well, what do I do now? Um, and and then that's where he really starts to kind of almost like take revenge on all these people. It was pretty pretty interesting how he did that, and he leveraged his knowledge of the telephone oh, system. Oh, yeah, when he started to apply what, all the things he'd read. And he was unpredictable enough that Jobert and the other people couldn't really get a handle on what he was going to do next because he was uh, just beginning to do these things. Jobert has a really great comment about that. He says, That includes Condor, of course. Yes, I owe you Condor. Otherwise, it Otherwise was... does not exist. Will Condor take long? You want an estimate? There is a time factor. Not always with you people. Condor is an amateur. It's lost, unpredictable, perhaps even sentimental. You could fool a professional. Not deliberately, but precisely because he is lost. He doesn't know what to do. Unlike Wicks, who has always been entirely predictable. The man Condor killed in the alley. It's a friend of his. Close friend? I suppose so. Why? It interests me. What was his name? I don't know. He was nobody. He was just... Condor. Trouvez son nom. Là où il habite. Donnez-moi ces renseignements quand je vous téléphonerai. What about Wicks? You want the firm to question him. They will, you know. We don't want that. Cost you nothing. I was careless with Condor. Wicks will be done for nothing. What time is it? <laughs> they could not have picked a better actor to play Jobert than Max von Sydow, who was. It was so cool to see Max von Sydow and Robert Redford together like that. I would have, I would have loved to see more movies with the two of them. Such good actors. I, I wanted. Uh, well, uh, the movie is is really good. The more I see it, the more I enjoy it, because it's so well written. The screenplay is so convoluted and at the same time obscure and and there's all kinds of things going on it really reflects a lot of the thinking of the 1970s with everything politically and in our society that was going on it was the end of vietnam war and all kinds of stuff i found a lot of parallels with today really i I thought this movie felt contemporary to me in a lot of ways oh yeah it hasn't that's a good point you know i hadn't thought of it until just now I, I think that, that the movie stands up as well today as it did 45 years ago when it came out. And, and one thing that kept crossing my mind, too, is it is definitely a movie of its time. And you couldn't really make a movie like this today. And it's because of the technology. And, you know, they couldn't track him with a cell phone. He, he kind of foils them by manipulating the, the physical, like, switches yeah. at the at the... I don't know where that was. It was like it was like the it was like. Did you yeah. remember when he walked into that room and you heard all the clicking, clacking? It was like physical switches that were turning on and off 
in the phone system, and I thought that was really fascinating. I actually had the the opportunity to go into one of those rooms. Uh, my sister's husband, uh, Bruce, worked for Mountain State's Telephone, and he took me into the switching room in Helena, a gigantic building full of all those mechanical switches, just like in the movie. And you could hear Gosh, you could incredible. hear all the clicking and all that going on. When when I saw that, I just thought that all of that can be condensed down to a microchip now. Oh, yeah, you know, like that. Those that was a that was like a physical representation of a of a microchip because that that's what they do. They just have switches that turn on and off. It was cool. I did one, but you, you couldn't make this movie now. You couldn't you couldn't make it without pretty drastic changes. I think so. It's it's fun it to watch it and know that it's it still stands up today. And at the same time, it's definitely of its time. It couldn't be remade today, like the way that it is. Currently. And it's of its time in terms of the themes that go on in in the story. I I, I did want to make a special mention of Sidney Pollack, who's a favorite director of mine. The very first movie that he ever made is 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 really a good one. We might want to look at it at, at, in the future, called The Slender Thread, from 1965 in black and white. It takes place in Seattle, and there's some really wonderful photography of the old University of Washington set up, you know, from 55, 60 years ago. Sidney Poitier and Anne Bancroft and others, Telly Savalas. It's about a crisis hotline. It's really a good movie. Plus, oh, I'd like to watch that. I'd like to see the old Seattle scenes. And then, of course, he did Tootsie in 1982 and Out of Africa in 1985, which were really... I mean, the man was really good at what he did, and he died at a fairly young age at 73 from uh, some... uh, I forget what it was. He had some serious health issues, but a really good director. He, He makes a few cameos in this movie. He's the voice of the boyfriend on the phone when... Kathy, uh, Kathy is uh, talking to him, explaining why she's not at the ski slopes with him. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, and then he's the taxi cab driver who says uh, something to Robert Redford about, you know, do your sleeping at home, not in the streets or wow. something like that, because <laughs> he almost gets run over. I wonder if he did cameos in a lot of his films, because he was in Tootsie. Remember, he's in the restaurant. He's the agent for, for Dustin oh, yeah. Hoffman. And then I read that Faye Dunaway said that, you know, acting, to, you know, like I was being seduced by Robert Redford was pretty easy because, <laughs> you know, he's a good looking guy. Uh, but there was that scene where she was tied up and to make it so that she really looked more terrified. And it was it was the shots where it was just her in, in the frame. Um, Sidney Pollack would is also a great actor, right? So he's a great director, but he's also a great actor. And he was being really menacing and like saying these, all these horrible things that he was going to do to her. And she was believing him because he was, he's such a great actor. So that's what they captured oh, on I didn't film. Know that. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't Robert Redford who was uh, sort of playing opposite her in, in those scenes. It was uh, Sidney Pollack. Yeah. Pollack was really, really good. Uh, Cliff Robertson had a really great career too. He was, as the story goes, he was selected by President Kennedy to play the president in PT-109, which was made in 19... 
63. He was personally selected by the president. But he also did a, a movie called Charlie, which he won an Academy Award for, where he plays a really, really strong role of a man who's got some disabilities and overcomes them. An excellent film. Another one that we could add to our list from 1968. So, Yeah, I've heard about that movie. I haven't seen it. But he's been in a ton of movies. Wasn't he an airplane? I feel like he was an airplane. Airplane. Ah. Well, there were so many. There were so many. Robert Stack was in it. And, oh, my. He might have been. I'm going to look it up here. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was the co-pilot. Oh, he played Ben Parker in Spider-Man in 2002. Um, Escape from L.A. He was the president yeah. in Escape he from did L.A. The one, uh, <laughs> he did the one. He did the movie that Natalie Wood made that was her last film. Brainstorm. Oh, Brainstorm. He was, he was the menacing was CEO in that, I believe. He had a long career. I guess he wasn't an airplane. But he's been in a lot of movies. Oh, wow. he has. I didn't do a count, but uh, he had a long career. He lived to be 88. So, And then Max Van Saito, I mean... He was he's been busy since 1949 through this year. He just passed away this year. Uh, he's one of my favorite actors. Mine too. Yeah, I love him. Did we did we do? Um, have we done a podcast of the Virgin Spring? Yeah, that's we did. What I yeah, we've done so many. That was one of my favorite episodes, actually. Yeah, I really got into that movie and did that long article on the website about it. And I believe he's going to be in one of our upcoming films. Are we? Is that right? No, he's not. The seventh. Yeah, no, we, we decided but, not to do the seventh. So. He will reappear. He Definitely. Will reappear, yeah, that man Definitely. must have been working all the time. <laughs> oh, in every kind of language he had, you know, he was fluent in like six or eight languages. Did you like how when they were walking along the river uh, and they're speaking in English and then some passerbys come walking along and they switch immediately to French? Yes. <laughs> I feel like that was that he really switched to French. Oh, like, definitely. I'm sure he... He could speak Swedish, French, German, Norwegian, English, you know, on and on. So this plot, um, back to the actual movie for a minute, I felt like Robert Redford was caught in this spider web of never-ending deception and double-crossing. And he had to figure a way to survive. And we're never sure that he did because of the ending. Well, and Gosh. every time he thought that he had like reached the end, there's like another layer yeah. got peeled back. So he he uh, he finally figures out that Atwood was sort of the lead person in this covert operation within the CIA. So he goes to Atwood's house, and who shows up but Jobert? Well, it makes it even doubly confusing to Redford's character because he's uh, Redford, through his use of the telephone uh, system, talks to Jobert and connects to his room in this hotel in New York City, and then he uh, goes to... Uh, Turner goes to uh, Higgins and says, <clears throat> you can find Joe Bear at this place. And sure enough, he thinks, wow, I've solved that. Then he ends up con being confronted by the guy in Washington, D.C., because he's been now, Joe Bear's been hired by the CIA again to do more work. I yeah. mean, that's like, 
Well, and, and <clears throat> even when he, even when Turner confronts Higgins about Jobert, Higgins is like, "Oh yeah, we know who yeah. that is. <laughs> yeah, we we've hired him in the past, and he's a he's a he's he's like a he's back on the payroll." But it's like, yeah, and then he then they hire him again, and then they hire him to go out and take care of Atwood. What? Did you touch anything except the chair? You're working for the company again. The desk? The lamp? Jesus, they took you back. Just for this. For Atwood. How? He's with the company. Why? I don't interest myself in why. I think more often in terms of when. Sometimes where. Always how much. I suspect it was about to become an embarrassment. As you are. So you're not finished. Pardon? Oh, no, I have no arrangement with the company concerning you. They didn't know you'd be here. I knew you'd be here. Didn't you send the mailman? That was a business arrangement with Atwood. Did you see? And the whole time that's going down, you think, oh, he's there to, to get to kill Turner. But actually he's not. At that point he doesn't even care about yeah, Turner the, the, anymore. And that, that's where he that's where he like tries to recruit him to go to live in Europe and become a uh, assassin, essentially. about the girl. What about the girl? She was chosen how? By age? Her car? Appearance? At random. Chance. Really? Can I drop you? I'd like to go back to New York. You have not much future there. It would happen this way. You may be walking. Maybe the first sunny day of the spring. And a car will slow beside you. And a door will open. And someone you know, maybe even trust, will get out of the car. And he will smile, a becoming smile. But he will leave open the door of the car and offer to give you a lift. You seem to understand it all so well. What would you suggest? Personally, I prefer Europe. Europe? Yes. Well, the fact is, 
What I do is not a bad occupation. Someone is always willing to pay. I would find it tiring. Oh, no. It's quite restful. It's almost peaceful. No need to believe in either side or any side. There is no cause. There's only yourself. The belief is in your own precision. I was born in the United States, Joubert. I miss it when I'm away too long. I pity. I don't think so. Is it any trouble to drop me at the Union Station? Oh, no. Would be my pleasure. There was no reason to kill Turner because Joubert would not be paid for that. That wasn't his job. I mean, that man was just deadly. Yeah, Joubert explained to Turner how the CIA would take him out. And then the next scene is exactly what Joubert described, where there's a car with somebody that you trust, and they're going to invite you into the car. And, you know, Turner doesn't fall for it at that point because he knows he's been warned. And and that's where we get the reveal that he's gone and talked to the New York Times, and he thinks he's blown this case wide open. And actually, Higgins gets a look of fear on his face, like, like oh crap you and he he says you don't even you don't even know what you've done like the damage you've done and he says well i hope you know i hope that's true like he really wants to take them all down and then higgins man that was cold he says well that's assuming they even publish it yeah and then and then you think oh does he have connections at the new york times where he's just gonna say don't publish this like how far <laughs> yeah, does this go <laughs> and wasn't that uh uh speech that Higgins made at that during those scenes about how people wouldn't care how they got things done if they were running out of fuel or food. Do we have plans to invade the Middle East? Are you crazy? Am I? Look, Turner. Do we have plans? No, absolutely not. We have games. That's all. We play games. What if? How many men? What would it take? Is there a cheaper way to destabilize a regime? That's what we're paid to do. Walk on. Go on. So Atwood just took the games too seriously. He was really going to do it, wasn't he? Renegade operation. Atwood knew 5412 would never authorize it. There was no way, not with the heat on the company. Well, what if there hadn't been any heat? Supposing I hadn't stumbled on a plan. Say nobody had. They're a ball game. The fact is, there was nothing wrong with the plan. Well, the plan was all right. The plan would have worked. Boy, what is it with you people? You think not getting caught in a lie is the same thing as telling the truth? No. It's simple economics. Today, it's oil, right? In 10 or 15 years, food, plutonium, and maybe even sooner. Now, what do you think the people are going to want us to do then? Ask them. Not now. Then. Ask them when they're running out. Ask them when there's no heat in their homes and they're cold. Ask them when their engines stop. Ask them when people who've never known hunger start going hungry. You want to know something? They won't want us to ask them. They'll just want us to get it for them. <laughs> 
have you found a home? Seven people killed Higgins. The company didn't order it. Atwood did. Atwood did. And who the hell is Atwood? He's you. He's all you guys. Seven people killed! And you play f games! Right. And the other side does too. That's why we can't let you stay outside. Well, go on home, Higgins. Go on. They've got it. What? You know where we are. Just look around. They've got it. That's where they ship from. They've got all of it. What? What did you do? I told him a story. You play games, I told him a story. Oh, you. You poor dumb You've done more damage than you know. I hope so. That was chilling, chilling. I thought it was so prescient, and I, that's why I think it's still relevant today. Because I wonder, I wonder, you know, what the way things are, like what people would tolerate. Well, and I think we've already seen some of that in some ways. So it was, yeah, that was a chilling. We speech. wanted to have a movie that dealt with conspiracy and paranoia, and boy, we hit it with this one. I tell you, the, the the attention to detail in the movie is really great too. I was reading that when. Turner goes to hide out in that that shop where he meets yes. Kathy. Uh, if you look at the way that the coats are hung on the coat rack, they're hung like they really would be in a store like that. There's there's one that's faced one direction, the hooks faced one direction, and then the next coats the hooks face the other direction, and vice versa, vice versa. And the way they the reason they do that is it prevents somebody from just coming in and grabbing like a whole rack of coats oh. and running out because because they would lock together and i thought wow that's either that was an accident which i doubt or that's just the level of attention to detail that they put into the movie i have to believe that would have to be because of the attention to detail that pollock insisted i did want to mention that the two screenwriters semple and rayfield got an edgar award from the mystery writers of america for the best motion picture screenplay for that year as for as a mystery I can see why. I mean, oh, I'm not definitely. even sure that I would have the uh, brain power to figure out how to write something like that and overlap all the subplots and keep it straight. It's like <laughs> when I watch Big Sleep, every time I watch it, I have to read about the plot. And they, uh, I guess Raymond Chandler was asked, you know, do you understand the plot? Because he wrote it. And, and do you understand the plot? And he said, well, sort of. He, he really his main reason for putting it all together as a book was uh, the character development, which I think is a large part of this. Maybe the obtuseness of it was a feature. You know, it wasn't a flaw. It was it was it was a feature of the book and the movie. I, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I did want to mention a little bit about Kathy's yes. character and how she got kind of swept up in this, and you know, Turner kidnaps her from that store. And forces her to take him back to her place. And he's sounding like a crazy person explaining all these things that have happened and how he's being hunted. And I just thought, huh, 
Do you think that she was having a bit of Stockholm Syndrome with him in terms of she seems to consent to sleeping with him and then actually decides that she's going to help him solve this mystery and I, I was wondering what you thought about that because it was it was kind of I don't know it was a little bit troubling the way that that relationship was set up in the movie I think it was a bit of the Stockholm syndrome but it also is in keeping with the vagueness and ambiguity of the characters uh, the, the, she's right in there with the rest of them it's hard to figure out exactly who and what she is and what's going on with, with her thinking but then I think she does feel like uh, he is being pursued and she needs to help him. But the way that that whole thing started with, between the two of them uh, made uh, Turner's character, or Redford's character, be uh, not a good guy either. Because he wasn't, exactly. wasn't messing around. He, he was going to get her to comply with what he wanted to do. I need your car. That's called grand theft. You don't want to get in trouble with the police. This guy in Vermont, what's he going to do when you don't show up? Probably call. Very soon now. Call or do I have to worry about him showing up here? You're not entitled to personal questions. That gun gives you the right to rough me up. It doesn't give you the right to ask me. Rough you up. Have I roughed you up? Yes. What are you doing in my house? Going through all my stuff. Have I raped you? The night is young. You don't believe anything I've said, do you? I believe you're in trouble. Danger. But I don't know what kind. And I'm not sure how much of it is made up. Real, but... It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter. Just wait a minute. Will you just try to understand what you're saying to me? I feel like he had that look in his eye, like a killer, yeah. a killer yeah. look, you know, and, and, and she, she could see that. And they even, they did such a good job developing her character in a really short period of time by talking about her photographs and how they were neither photos of spring, or, I'm sorry, photos of autumn or winter. They're sort of that in-between state and there were no people in the photos. They were always empty and kind of desolate looking and, and he says something to her about how he doesn't think that she really wants to be with this other guy because he kind of wants to settle down. What she wants is somebody who's on the way out. And that's why yes. she likes his character because he's not going to be there for very long. And that's what she likes. And so I thought that was a really incredible way to quickly get you into her head and and what she would be thinking about. And, and I think it explains why she does fall for him so quickly and then also wants to help him. I, I wondered, as if I agree with that, I wondered also what happened to her as a result of that whole episode with him. Was she now going to be a target at some point? 
Exactly. I, I, I feel like she's a yeah. loose end that they would like want to tie up. Because Joubert w- would know of her because he sent the mailman. And he could, maybe, the way he operated, though, he may not have said anything to Higgins because there wasn't any money in it for him. But Higgins True. might say, well, but yeah. But they did know about, they did know about her, though. Well, he, yeah, he, he knew, yeah, Gilbert knew about her, but I don't know that. No, Higgins knew about him, too, knew about her, too, because she was there when they kidnapped Higgins. Because they, they. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because he wondered who she was. Because she she pretends that she's gonna go to the CIA to get a job, and then kind of through some deceit they're able to kidnap him. So I have an idea for a, a sequel to this movie, which is that he decides at the end that he is gonna go to Europe, and he he finds Jobert, and he gets trained by Jobert, and then he finds out that they're after Kathy, so he comes back to the United States to save her and you know there's like some another like big plot that's revealed you know but i think it would be cool to see uh robert redford and max von Sydow back in a movie again that would be my 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 sequel to the three days of the i like it i like a lot of the main characters would have to be recast could be it it could be called three more days of the condor (laughs) get the right director for it maybe um Maybe Skarsgård. What's his name? Oh, the guy that's going to be in the yes. new Dune movie. He's uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, he would be good as Jobert. And maybe we got to find somebody younger. I was thinking Brad Pitt is kind of a Robert Redford character to me, but he's too old now. Well, he could he could come back though. He but anyway, anyway, good sequel. Yeah, we got to find a director. <laughs> and Faye Dunaway's still acting. So, but she might. I don't know. Well, anyway. <laughs> we digress. Uh, yeah, Faye Dunaway, she's won an Academy Award for another film that we could do called Network from 1976. Fine movie. Oh, yeah. Plus she was in Bonnie and Clyde, which is a heck of a movie. She's a really good actress. Yeah, she's a really, really good actress. I liked her character. And has done a lot of theater. What was your rating on this? I, I'm going to give it a 9. I don't think it's quite a 10. Um, but I definitely think it's up there. I think I think it's a nine. I give it a nine too. Yeah, excellent film. And if you watched it over and over again, you'd really be paranoid. So yeah. anyway, yeah, I didn't like the way I felt at the end. I felt <laughs> I felt like I should like look around and make sure that nobody's well, watching. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it doesn't come to a nice, neat, tied up bow. That's for sure. Well, so you know when you or, watch shows on Amazon Prime, it'll it'll recommend like another movie for you to watch. Yes. If you like this movie, you'd like you'd probably also like this movie. And so it, the movie it recommended was The Parallax View, and I'm like, nope, I'm I'm not going to watch that one. That one amps it up even more. Oh, well, uh, as a lead-in here, we our next uh, our next uh, podcast will be Capricorn One, right? From 1977, yep, as we one. continue our strange, inevitable walk down the paranoia conspiracy path. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, it's the conversation. The conversation with Gene Hackman. Yeah. And then we're going to switch it up to lead into some, yeah, something really different, which is we found four kind of odd movies that will lead us into like the Halloween season. Uh, and... 
the first one is called V, V-I-Y, which is a Russian film uh, and looks really interesting and probably got some good political commentary we can have in there. And then after that, it you have the uh, list. First, I forgot. first spaceship <laughs> on Venus comes after that, an East German film. And then after that is Night of the Vampire. No, I'm, I'm sorry. No, Night of the uh, Demon. Night, Night of the Demons, an English film with Dana Andrews. And then we wrap it up with a vampire, Night of the Vampire, I think it's called. Let's see here. Just the Vampire, the Vampire from Mexico from 1957. All right. Well, we gave it a nine and we're ready to wrap it up. Yep, so that was our review of Three Days of the Condor. Oh, we should say that Condor is the code name of Turner. That's why it's called Three Days of the Condor. Forgot to mention that earlier. And coming to you from North Bend, it's Matt. And from Los Angeles, this is Bob wishing everybody happy movie watching. You can take a walk, but how far if they don't print it? They'll print it. How do you know? <laughs>